0: Last week when I began the message, I told you it was going to be heavy duty. Today, though, it's going to be really heavy because the truth about the times that you and I live in isn't cheerful, at least at first. And this is hard for me because I love to bring beautiful, upbeat, cheerful messages. But today's message is about the world that you and I are living in and the judgment of God. And when we look at the Bible, whenever God gives a message about judgment, and he does, it's spiritually criminal. It's ministerial malpractice for a messenger of God at that moment to cave to political correctness. You know, from time to time in our world, especially with the size of New Spring being so large, I hear people say, "Mark, if you're going to preach that way, you can't be pastor of a megachurch." And they won't really say it to my face, but it'll get back to me. But I always want to make it really, really clear: as leader of our church, I have to answer to a much higher power than popular opinion. Can we all take a deep breath there and recognize that? I have to answer to a much higher power than to popular opinion. We see that in a similar time than we live in. It happened back in Bible times. A lot of what's going on today, the same thing. We see it playing out in the Bible. And first of all, we see the uh, public opinion as it's told to the prophets. This is Isaiah chapter 30 in the 10th verse. The people tell the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Tell us nice things. One translation says, tell us smooth things, tell us lies, forget all this gloom, get off your narrow path, stop telling us about God. Well, that was how the public spoke to the prophets of God back during Bible times. Unfortunately, many of the prophets and priests, the the spiritual leaders, caved to that. And so in Jeremiah, God had this to say about the religious leaders of the time, from prophets to priests, they are frauds. What a strong word. And then look at this. God said they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace when there is no peace. And then when God goes on to say what happens to those false preachers, I read that and I think to myself, I can't afford to be in that group. So if this message is hard to hear, maybe you'll understand why I bring it. Our series is called Signs of the Times. And we're talking about when Jesus will return to make things right. If you haven't had a chance to check out last week's message, I would encourage you to do it because there's so many things that really, from last week's message, this message is built upon. So here we are in 2020. We're living in very strange times. Uh, This year has got a different feel. I mean, I guess I could say that throughout my lifetime, these have been strange times, but 2020 has got a particular vibe to it, and we feel it, and we know that something's got to give. So if we wanted to know, if we're seeing signs of the return of Jesus, which is the end of this age and the beginning of the new age, if we wanted to know if we're seeing signs in 2020, what would be our absolute best source? You know, there are a lot of great preachers today who preach on prophecy. There are a lot of books out there. But how would we know for sure that we're living in the times right before Jesus' return? How about Jesus himself? Now, when you open the Bible, there are many signs of Jesus' return. Believe it or not, they start in Genesis, and they go throughout the Bible. Many signs. But when Jesus was on the earth, he gave a message about his return, and he gave us what I call the big two, or the top two. So today, I want us to devote this whole message to Jesus' top two signs. Let's pick up the scene. Jesus is on his way to be crucified. The disciples feel something different in the air. And they're guessing that it's about to be time for Jesus' kingdom. They they don't understand how that, as we saw last week, he came the first time to make the inner person right. They they jump to conclusions and they think that he's about to do what he's going to do in his second coming that hasn't happened yet. They think that he's about to set up his kingdom. So they ask him about it, and it's in response to this question that Jesus gives us what I consider to be the two big signs of the last time before Jesus returns. Well, Jesus himself said it. When the Son of Man returns, Jesus said, it will be like it was in Noah's day. And then he continues. In those days, people enjoyed banquets, parties, weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat and the flood came and destroyed them all. Number one, like it was in Noah's day. And now he moves on. And the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating, drinking, buying, selling, farming, building, until the morning Lot left Sodom, then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, Jesus said, it'll be business as usual, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now, I'm going to spend the rest of today's message talking about seven characteristics of those times, the days of Noah and the days of Lot. But before I do, Let me point out something very interesting. Jesus is talking about the events that will take place in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. But don't you find it interesting that he connects the events of Revelation to two stories from the very first part of Genesis? If you were here last week, you know that I shared with you how that really the messages on the end times are part of a very big story, one big story. God speaks, two messages, two messages where things went wrong, and what God is going to do to make things right. What's beautiful to me is that this integrity continues all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God's big story. And now that story, as we're going to see, is coming to its culmination. With the time we have left and time is limited today, we got to cover seven similarities between the days of Noah and the days of Lot And the times that you and I live in. And we got to cover those seven similarities in 35 minutes. So hang on. You heard what I heard. Jesus said, days of Noah, days of Lot. You know, I've decided something for this series. When I was a kid, preachers told us the signs and then pointed things out from the news. You know, they would say, here's what the Bible says. And then here's what news magazines and television has to say. Here's the prophecy. Here are the signs. I've come to the conclusion in this series What's happening today so fulfills prophecy, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm going to ask you the question, after I talk about every one of these signs, I'm going to ask you the question, what do you see? Okay, here's number one, and we're going to pull this from Noah's times. As we'll see, Lot's times were the same, but let's just take Noah's Noah's times. The first thing that we see is that people's thinking was all messed up. Now, remember this, Jesus said, whatever we think is ultimately what we will be. In Genesis chapter 6, God explaining the flood, the Bible says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. In other words, he saw what people were doing, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So think about that. Just look at that for just a moment. God looked at the extent of what people were doing and how wicked it was, but God understood that it all began in their thinking, their thoughts. In other words, what they planned, what they imagined was consistently and totally evil. It was so bad, the Lord was sorry he'd ever made them, that he ever put them on the earth. The Bible says it broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe the human race I've created from the face of the earth. That's what happened with the flood. You know... One of the greatest gifts that God ever gave the human race was the power to think, to imagine, to dream. The greatest inventions that we have in our world today, the inventions that enhance our lives, have come from this gift of God, the ability to imagine, to think. And when our thinking is synced up with God... Well, there's a word that we have for that. It's the word inspiration. The etymology of inspiration means that our thinking is actually in sync with the Spirit of God. But when you and I look at what people are thinking about today, it's very clear that we don't have inspiration. Look at our entertainment. Look at how inventions are used. We celebrate technology, and it's got good uses, but for the large part, Where's technology taking us? Frankly, it's taking us, as we saw last week, right toward the tribulation. And in Noah's day, the thinking was all messed up. Well, when you look at America in 2020, when I don't, I don't live outside the United States, for those of you who do, you can evaluate your own country and your own part of the world. But I want to just ask you today: What do you see when you hear people talk? When you hear what people are thinking about? How do you feel about that? In Noah's day, the thinking was all messed up. Now, characteristic number two. And again, we're going to pull this from Noah's day, but if you want to explore Lot's day, a few chapters later in Genesis, you'll discover that the same thing is true. Now, God, once again, is explaining why he's about to send the flood on the earth. The Bible says that God saw that the earth had become corrupt. Literal, and I'm going to give you some literal definitions of Hebrew words as we go along here. The word corrupt there means ruined. God saw that the earth had become ruined and was filled with violence. That word that we have translated into our language, violence, literally means people damaging each other. God observed all the corruption in the world for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot, that's how things are going to be. Now, Somebody can make the point, Mark, things have always been violent, but I want to ask you a question. You see the same world that I see. Have you ever seen global violence the way it is today? Now, I know we're living in these days Jesus described. And because of that, I think about this one a great deal. I can't tell you how many times I read the news or watch the news, and my mind instantly goes back to the days of Noah being extremely violent and Jesus comparing the days about his return close to that. You and I see this. Every day our world gets more volatile. People get more volatile, more violent. You know, you check your newsfeed. There's so much violence, we're almost numb to it. If you're a news springer, I know you've heard me say this time and time again, but I can't get over it at my age. Crime stories that would have been the story of the decade 30 years ago don't even make the story of the day. Now, As we read this verse where Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and in the days of Noah were characterized by violence, let's let's not just let this verse make us focus on physical violence only. A few moments ago when I read the verse, you saw the definitions that I gave you. So let's read that statement with those definitions in place. God saw that the earth had been ruined by people damaging each other. And then he goes on to point out that this is a global thing. Wow, what a statement. God saw that the earth had been ruined by people damaging each other. People damage each other today in all kinds of ways. I mean, here in the United States, we're grieving over racism and the, the, just the harm that people do to each other. Now, violence, whether physical, mental, or emotional damage, almost always has a fundamental motivation. What would it take for the earth to be filled with violence? First of all, it would have to be filled with anger. I'm just telling you what I believe here, and you can do with it whatever you want to do. But I am convinced that at least 90%, if not more, violence in our world today goes back to anger. So if the earth is going to be filled with violence, it has to be first filled with anger. What What do you see when you look around in 2020? Now, the third thing, and we're going we're to move the, the story to Lot here. The third thing that we see in the Bible was that these were affluent cultures that left God out. In other words, the days of Noah and the days of Lot, they were not characterized by poverty, at least poverty of the beautiful people. These were affluent cultures, but they just had no room for God. Let's leave the story of Noah and the flood and let's go forward to the story of Lot. Lot is the nephew of Abraham, who is the father of the nation of Israel. And God said to Abraham, I want you to leave your country, and I want you to just follow me, and I'm going to show you a land that ultimately I'm going to give your descendants. Lot wanted to go too, his nephew. But there was a time when God had blessed them both so much that their the herdsmen, the, the, the ones responsible for watching their flocks, which was wealth in those days, started to have conflict with each other. And so Abraham said to his nephew, the land is so big, you know, we don't have to fight. We'll be, in, we'll be a bad testimony to the people around us. He said to Lot, you pick the direction you want to go and I'll go the other direction. Well, Lot took one look at an area that we know of as Sodom and Gomorrah. And scripture tells us that the land was very prolific, it was magnificent, it was beautiful, it was wealthy, and the crops grew extraordinarily. So we understand why Lot had his eye on Sodom and Gomorrah. But scripture goes on to say, but the people who lived there were wicked to the extreme. So Lot now has moved to this area. Ultimately, as we know, God destroyed both of those areas. And that's the reason why Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the days of the coming of Jesus. So there's so much that we could talk about here, and time is so limited. But we're fortunate because the prophet Ezekiel, many years later, would look back in time under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he would tell us what the problems with Sodom were that ultimately caused God to destroy it. Look at this. Sodom's sins were in other words, this is how God indicted them. Pride, literally arrogance, as in nobody's going to tell me what to do is what it means. Gluttony and laziness, while the poor and needy suffered outside her door. Now, God now in verse 50 is going to use another word for pride. The Bible says she was proud. Literally, this word means a sense of superiority as if to say, I'm better than you. You starting to get a picture that's developed? I mean, Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to eat because I've got plenty of money, anything I want to eat, and I've got all kinds of leisure time, and I'm going to sit around and try to figure out how, how I can make myself feel better and do what I want to do. All the time, poor people and needy were suffering outside the door hungry. And the Bible says the people of Sodom had a sense of superiority. I'm better than you. And then the Bible says they committed detestable. Now, that particular word means morally disgusting. They committed morally disgusting sins. And so God says, I wiped her out as you have seen. So today I look at a world and we've been so blessed in our world with so much prosperity. You know, even those among us who don't feel that we're all that wealthy, when we start analyzing what we have, we're so advanced to so many people in the world who actually do live in poverty. And so that was one of the characteristics of the times of Noah and Lot before judgment came. Here's the fourth one. There was twisted, perverted sex. Again, this is the story of Lot. Now, at this point, God is about to destroy Sodom. And God has sent two angels who look like men. God has sent two angels to rescue Lot. God's already told Abraham what he's about to do. And we'll get into that story in just a moment. But the angels go down to Sodom the night before destruction was going to come on the city. And it is interesting when you look at the fact that what we're about to read happened in the final hours leading up to that judgment. So the two angels have come to Lot's house. They're explaining to him what's going to happen the next day. They're saying to him, you need to get all your family together. If you've got married kids, you need to go out and get them To come to the house, we need to all be ready to leave early in the morning because God is about to rain down judgment. Now, that's what the angels are doing in Lot's house. But all of a sudden, the men of Sodom start gathering outside the door. And so let's pick this up in Genesis chapter 19, verse 4. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot. Where are the men who came in to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged. Now, now let's just stop for a moment. We have a God follower living in Sodom. And these are very, very wicked men, but Lot has like moved into their culture. And so Lot begins to plead with them. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Please leave these men alone, for they are my guest and under my protection. And wow, verse 9 could come from 2020, as well as it could have come from the book of Genesis. Now in verse 9, look at what they say. Stand back. This fellow, they're talking about Lot. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our, look at the next word, because we do hear that today when anyone says anyone's wicked sexuality is wrong. He is acting like our judge. Well, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, and as it was in the days of Lot, it will be that way right before Jesus comes back. And it's very clear that twisted, perverted sexual activity was a major factor from those times. And now number five. In both situations, in both Lot's time and Noah's time, they passed the point of no return. In Noah's case, God sent a flood. In Lot's case, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, those two cities, with fire and burning sulfur. What happened in both of those situations was the people were so wicked that ultimately they reached the place where God had to bring judgment. Now, this is a great opportunity for me to say as I look at our world and especially as I look at America very quickly I'm not saying that we're here I don't believe that we're past the point of no return I I can't bring myself to believe that and what's really interesting when you look at both Noah's day and Lot's day with all the wickedness and violence and sexual perversion God kept giving them extra and extra chances let me show you about let let me show you this in Noah's time Scripture says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and the Bible and other teachings say that Noah warned people for 120 years, and Enoch did before Noah. So for anyone who feels like the flood was unjust, it's really important to realize that God gave them warning after warning and time for so long to turn around. I mean, if Noah preached for 120 years, have no idea how long Enoch preached, People had all kinds of opportunities to hear the message, to turn around and respond to God. But what really stands out to me is that when the time came for the flood and God called Noah and his family into the ark, God left the door of the ark open for seven days. Again, after Noah and his family had got into the ark. Now that tells you something about the heart of God. After all these years, And all the awful behavior of the people in Noah's time, and after all their opportunities to respond to the preaching, after the ark had been built, and it was very clear that Noah was serious about obeying God, God called Noah into the ark, and he left that door standing open for seven more days for anyone to change their minds. You know, I can't help but wonder what people thought in those seven days. But the New Testament tells this, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, people refused to listen to God. Look at this, though he waited patiently for them while Noah was building the ark. Now listen to that real carefully. In other words, God gave them all this time to turn around, and it wasn't that God was waiting patiently for Noah to build the ark. One more time, look at this. People refused to listen to God, though God waited patiently for them while Noah was building the ark. Same thing happened with Sodom. Even though judgment would ultimately fall, God kept giving them opportunity after opportunity to turn around. You know, it's so peculiar that even when God gets to the point of bringing judgment and time out for a moment, I'll look at what's going on in America and I think about what Billy Graham said back in the 50s Billy said, if God lets America go, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. If that's what Billy said in the 50s, what would he say in 2020 if he were still alive and preaching? So I really really believe when we look at the United States, we are very close to the judgment of God. But here's what I want to point out. Even when God gets to the point, right up to that point of no return, he still looks for every reason to give more time. We see this in the story of Lot. And I know I keep bouncing back and forth between the stories of Noah and the stories of Lot, but with Jesus' words, you understand why I do. So now, let's back up a little bit in time. This is before the angels go to Sodom. The angels have come by to visit Abraham. And God has the angels tell Abraham what's going to happen in Sodom. God says, Abraham follows me. I can't hide from him what I'm about to do. And so God says... Sodom is so wicked, I'm going to have to bring final judgment. And at that moment, Abraham begins to negotiate with God. Abraham says, Well, well wait a minute. You won't destroy the godly people with the wicked. Abraham says, If there are 50 righteous people, will you, will you spare Sodom? And God said, Yes. If there are 50 there, I will spare Sodom. Abraham got thinking, Well, there might not be 50. So he said, What if there are 45? And God said, Sure. Won't destroy it if there are 45 godly people. Abraham said, 40? And God said, okay, if there are 40 godly people there, I won't just, God had said, I mean, this wicked, wicked city that we just saw a few moments ago, God said, "I, I, I will give it more time if you can find 40 godly people there. But Abraham started thinking, maybe there aren't 40. Maybe Lot really hasn't had as much impact on Sodom as Abraham would have hoped. In fact, if you want to study the story, Sodom had way more influence on Lot than Lot had on Sodom. So Abraham said, well, what what if there are 30? And God said, okay, if there are 30 godly people, I won't destroy the city. Abraham said, God, I I know you've been very patient with me throughout this process, but let's say there aren't 30. What if there are 20? And God said, if there are 20, I won't touch it. Abraham took a deep breath. And he said, God, God, I'm, I'm going to ask you one more time. I, you, again, you've been so good. You, you, I started with 50, and now I'm down to 20, and you still say that you'll spare Sodom. I think Abraham thought, surely, Lot will get his family I mean, because Lot had two daughters still living at home. He had married daughters who were living there. They they now had their husbands and families. And so Abraham, I think, is like doing the math. And he's thinking, okay, well, let's just say Lot only got his family. And he said, God, if there are 10, if there are 10. And God said, I won't destroy the city of Sodom if there are 10 righteous people. Now, there are two things that quickly jump off the page. First of all, it's clear that there weren't 10 righteous people in Sodom. But I want you to hear the patience of God. Knowing how wicked Sodom was, God said over and over, yes, suppose there are fewer godly people there. For the sake of godly people, I will not bring judgment. What that tells me is what I see throughout the scripture is that God, is not, God does not want to bring judgment. God will take any opportunity to pull back his judgment. Scripture tells us that in the book of Joel. In fact, here's what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 about God's waiting on the times. Scripture says the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. Look at this. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. And remember, verse 15 says, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. But with all of God's mercy and his long-suffering and his waiting and his giving extra chance after extra chance after extra chance, I do not have permission to put a Band-Aid on cancer. Because if we learn one thing from the days of Noah and the days of Lot that Jesus referred to, eventually the time comes when God says, that's it. God calls time. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 12, the Bible says, God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. God was saying to Noah, I've called time. Now, we understand in the days of Noah, it was the flood. In the days of Lot, it was God's destruction on Sodom and Gomorrah. In the last days, as we saw last week, it's the tribulation. It's this seven-year convulsion that the world is going to go through. And as I look at this, this text from Jesus, and as I look at our world today, and look at the stories of Abraham and Lot and, and Sodom, and I look at the days of Noah in the antediluvian age, I can't help but wonder where we are. I mean, where are we in 2020? Are we in a season of grace? I mean, is God like Still being more patient, giving more people an opportunity to respond? I pray we are. I mean, are we like right at the end like Noah was? I mean, where where God is leaving the door open for just a little while longer? I mean... Is God leaving the door open for revival and turnaround? I mean, earlier this year, we didn't know what was coming. We didn't know about the coronavirus. We didn't know about all the turmoil that our world was going to go through right now. But we did a series on the subject of revival. And we said, we believe that revival is coming. And I think I even made a, a comment during that series that we didn't know exactly how God was going to bring it. May, maybe that's where we are today. Maybe we're like Noah and his family in the ark and God is leaving the door standing open for just a few more days where anyone who wants to turn can come back to God. But we do know there is a point where God calls time and that happened in Noah's day and Lot's day. The sixth thing that I want to point out from these two seasons is for those of us who are God followers. It is very clear that the times these men lived in had a corrosive effect on them. I really see that today because God followers are probably a great deal more influenced by the culture around us than we even realize. Now, let's take Lot, because we understand that with Lot, it was a choice. I mean, I'm not sure with Noah that he had a choice. I mean, the whole world was wicked in Noah's day. But in, in Lot's situation, he had a choice. He chose to go to Sodom. And he's living in this wicked culture that we've talked about today. Now, here's what Scripture says. Lot was a righteous person. Now, it's, it's interesting that the word righteous there doesn't necessarily mean that he was a really uber godly person like his uncle Abraham was. You ready for this Christ followers in 2020? Righteous there simply means he knew the difference between right and wrong. And in effect in his life, I mean even though he he really was not walking really close to God and he was he was allowing a lot of compromise in his life with the cultures of Sodom, at least inside, he knew the difference between right and wrong. Well, for those of us who are God followers, even if we're influenced by the culture today in a negative way, God followers essentially know the difference between right and wrong. So that's what we have. We have Lot. He he was righteous in the sense that he knew the difference between right and wrong. And the Bible says he was sick of the shameful immorality. Interesting The word there means worn down or exhausted by the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Christ followers, I want to talk to you for just a moment. How many of us tolerate entertainment that would have made us sick just a few years ago? How many of us tolerate language and activity in our entertainment? How many of us have actually engaged in that kind of language? But a few years ago, it made us sick. And what's happened is this culture has had an erosive quality. It's like water in a river running over rock. And that's what happened to Lot. He, he was in Sodom and what he saw and what he heard made him sick at first because he knew the difference between right and wrong. But over time, he just got worn down by it and exhausted by the shameful immorality and the wickedness around him. Verse eight says, Lot was a righteous man. There's our word again. He knew the difference between right and wrong. And I truly believe that Lot was a believer. I, I, I know that he was by ultimately what happened here. As, as messed up as he was and as much negative influence as the culture had upon him, he was, a, he was a person who was saved by grace. He knew the difference between right and wrong. And the Bible says he was tormented. The word actually means tortured. He was tortured in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day i leave number six in this message because I think many of us who are God followers in the culture that we're living in today, we feel this. We feel the wickedness around us. We see the world. It used to be on a glide path. Now it's in a dive and we're being affected by it and, and it makes us sick and it tortures us to see what people are thinking and doing today. But I think it's really important for us to stop for a moment and ask the question, how much influence is our culture having on us? Okay, we're going to slow down here before we get to number seven, because number seven is different from the first six. We've been looking at the words of Jesus as he talked about events that would take place right before his return. And he compared those times to the days of Noah and the days of Lot. And up till this point, we've been looking at the conditions during those days, how people lived and the bad things that they did and how Noah and Lot reacted to those times. But when we get to number seven, we see the ultimate reason why Jesus used these two scenarios to refer to the times right before his return. Because as we saw last week, Jesus' first phase of his return is an evacuation. In other words, God is rescuing his people out of judgment. Well, when you look at Noah's times and Lot's times, what do you have? You have God calling time, God bringing judgment on those cultures. But before he does, he evacuates these godly people out of judgment, just like the rapture will evacuate us. In Noah's case, it was the ark. In Lot's case, it was the angels who came and delivered them out of the city of Sodom. There you have it. Jesus said, It will be as it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. But he closes his message with the strangest statement. I mean, you know, up till now, we're kind of focused on, well, here's how it was in these two cultures, and here's how it will be in the end times. But then Jesus just kind of goes off on a little bit of a tangent. He says to his hearers, remember what happened to Lot's wife. Okay. Let's go back into that story where the angels were delivering Lot and his family out of Sodom. You you remember what had happened the night before, and let me just finish that story just so I don't leave it hanging. You know, those men that were banging on his door, the whole town of men came out wanting sex with Lot's two visitors. And the Bible says that the angels pulled Lot back inside and struck the men of the city with blindness, and they all went home. That's what happened that night the next morning early, the angel said to Lot, get your family together. If I left this hanging a few moments ago, I need to make the point that Lot went out to his married daughters and his sons-in-law, and he said to them, we got to get out. They thought that Lot was pulling a practical joke. That's what the Bible tells us. And they didn't leave Sodom. They stayed there. What went sideways in Lot's life where his kids thought whenever he talked about God, he was making a practical joke. Well, unfortunately, the only people who went with the angels were Lot, Lot's wife, and his two single daughters. And the angels had warned them, listen, (laughs) it's going to be nuclear behind us. You you need to get out of town, and you need to go as fast as you can, and don't slow down, and don't look back, just move. Move. We hear that when the first responders are trying to rescue people out of a bad situation, a burning building or an explosion area. You know, move, move, move. And and that's what the angels are saying to Lot and his family. It's going to be bad behind us. It's going to be bad right behind us. And move, move, move. And don't look back. Why did Jesus say, remember Lot's wife? Because there was a moment where Lot's wife began to think about what she was leaving behind her life was back in Sodom. That was she'd actually, she'd actually picked up the identity of Sodom. It was who she was. And the Bible indicates that she began to hang back and to look back at what she thought she was losing. What she never understood was that was all going to be judged by God. But the Bible tells us that Something happened to Lot's wife. We don't know exactly what it was. I don't know if she was hit by a piece of burning sulfur, but it was as if her whole person turned into a statue of salt. Why did Jesus in his generation? When he said that things would be like they were in the days of Noah in the days of Lot before our times. Why did Jesus close out his whole message with this simple little statement? Remember. In fact, in the old translation, it just says, remember Lot's wife. I don't know that I can know everything Jesus intended with that. But there's one word that jumps off the page to me. And that's the word almost. Lot's wife was almost rescued. God had sent a message. He had sent his deliverance. He had sent his angels to get them out of trouble. And she really had every opportunity to be rescued from Sodom. But deep inside, her heart was still in Sodom. And even though she could have been rescued, she chose to stay behind. And she wound up suffering Sodom's judgment. Every week when I bring God's word, when I have the opportunity to share the gospel, I invite people to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Savior there means rescuer. We realize that we're broken people, that we're all sinners. We saw last week how that sin is going our own way and rejecting God's ways. I I, I preach to us about how that all of us deserve judgment, but God sent Jesus into our world, God in skin. He was born God and human at the same time. He lived the perfect life that you and I can't live. And then he died on a cross. And in those six hours, the blood that flowed out of his body paid for our sins so that anyone, regardless of what we've done, can put faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we can be forgiven and completely restored with God, not just for life, but forever. And I always plead with you to understand that God has set that threshold very low and all he's asked us to do is to believe and to choose Jesus as our king. I wonder how many people hear that message and they almost respond. They hear it and it's beautiful. But at the same time, there's a part of them that says, I like the way I think, I like the way I live. I like going my own way. It's a beautiful thought that I could have a relationship with God, but at the end of the day, I kinda like my own way. And they come so close and they almost accept Jesus. And then they step back. Today's message is one of the darkest that I'll ever bring. To be honest with you, it's not the kind of message I look forward to, but it's the word of God. And we saw that it's cosmic malpractice for me to promise that everything's fine when it's not fine. I want to tell you that there is wonderful news that any of us can have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And like Noah was rescued and like Lot was rescued, we can be part of Jesus' rescue mission when he comes back for us all. If you've never invited Jesus Christ in your life, don't don't hang up, don't almost accept him. Come to faith today and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to know how, the Bible just simply says ask. And so what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to pray a prayer that asks and I'll pray it line by line slowly so that you can decide if you want to say these things to God. It isn't the words so much as it is what's in your heart, but here is a prayer That reaches out for that rescue, not just in this life, but life eternal. Pray with me, please. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus lived the life I can't live. I believe he died to pay for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. Today, I want Jesus to be my Savior and my King. I don't want to almost be saved. I want to know in my heart that I've been forgiven. I fully choose Jesus as my Lord and my King. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just pray with me, I want to offer you a gift. We have a gift box that we've prepared here at New Spring that's got some cool stuff. It's got a book I wrote that will explain a lot of things and answer a lot of questions about your decision, a Bible like I preach from, just some great stuff to help you take your first steps in following Jesus. All you have to do if you're in the continental United States to get this box is to text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. And we'll be glad to send it to you. If you're outside the continental United States, we'll send you an electronic version of the book. And once again, all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. Thanks for joining us today. We have a very exciting message next week about the end times, the last days that you and I are living in, in our series, Signs of the Time. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services.